Hey friends, all right, we've got some work to do. Uh, I, I know that is, we've got some work. It's totally seemingly antithetical to a podcast based on grace, uh, but we, we've, we've got some work to do. We've got some stuff to plot through. Hey, before I get started, I'm going to build up on the ideas that I've been talking about in the previous lessons, so I'm not going to recount all of those. What I will say is listen to this one if you've not heard the previous episodes in this Future Grace series. But as you listen, if you think, oh man, like it seems like I'm missing a few parts and pieces. Yeah, you you might be, but I covered them in the previous. And so instead of regurgitating everything here, uh, just, just go back and pick up the previous, I would say the previous two, and it will start making sense and pulling together. I do want to call your attention way down in the show notes down there. There is a free Best of Soul Wholeness audiobook for you. In that audiobook, I really walk through the three main types of soul wounds that we all hit. And that small audiobook is pulled from a longer book, a much longer book. But you'll learn about PTSD and triggers. You'll learn about guilt and shame, sometimes known as moral injury or even survivor's guilt is one form of that. And then you'll learn about soul ties. That's when our heart is attached to the wrong things. That looks like an addiction. Or it's attached to the right things in the wrong way. That looks like codependency in relationships. That looks like workaholism. That looks like, I mean, so many other things. I mean, <laughs> one thing I've learned is human beings, and I've learned this firsthand, we can hijack any of the great gifts of God, and instead of using them in a healthy way, we, we can transform them and use them in a harmful way. I mean, think about the greatness of fire. It can cook, it can warm, that thing can destroy. Think about the beauty of sex and intimacy. Oh, what a gift, but goodness, that... We are reaping repercussions in our society right now. Oh, it's just jumped the tracks. That's one of the reasons I think this will help, particularly that last section, because we, we want to receive the blessings of God and use them in a, in a healthy way, not, not a harmful way. All of the blessings. All right, let's do the work. Let's do the thing. Uh, in this one, I want to talk about paying for sin on credit. Or you could say it this way, uh, God paid for the sins in the Old Testament on credit. Or you could say it this way, you can forgive people before they ask for forgiveness and you can forgive them now even for future offenses that are coming your way because they are going to come your way. Uh, one day, I'll tell you where I learned this. I learned this from my wife, Beth. One, one day we were talking and uh, she said, yeah, I forgave you for that. I, I'd done something. I don't remember what it was. And then she continued. She said, yeah, I not only forgave you for that, I've already forgiven you for all future offenses. <laughs> I was thinking, like, that that's going to be a... I wasn't offended. It, I was thinking, like, that's going to be a pretty big stack of things. 
Like, I'm not going to intentionally do anything, but, you know, goodness, when you're in a relationship with someone, it's hard, especially when you work together and you're around each other, you know, all day, every day, you know, five or six days a week. I chose to forgive you for all future things because that's how God has responded to me. That's how he responded in Scripture Okay, and this is what I'm saying. Like you, you can do this because there's biblical precedent. All right, let's do some work. Let's back it all up, and then uh, you get to decide. You get to do you. All right. Matthew six thirty four. Jesus tells us, "Don't worry about tomorrow, um, because tomorrow will bring enough trouble of its own. Today is sufficient for itself." Now, presumably, we can rest about the next day, the next week, the next year, not only because there's nothing you can do about it right now, you're not there, but as we talked about in episode one and two and three of the series, Jesus, God, is already present in the future. He is simultaneously, as mind-blowing as this is, but I think I made my case for it, he is simultaneously present now to our present He is simultaneously present to our past. He is simultaneously present to our future. And not only ours, each other's, everyone else's, and all of history. He's literally everywhere all at once, I think was the title of episode number three in this series. Now, Jesus is realistic about what tomorrow is going to bring. He says, yeah, tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. (laughs) You know, and in John, I quoted this in the previous episode. He says, in this world, you will, he's decisive about it, have trouble, but he's also certain that nothing's going to separate us from his love. That's in Romans 8. Nothing, neither height nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities, things present, things yet to come, nothing can separate you from him or from the love of God that is in Christ. Now, often we think that that just means when we mess up, but it, it means when everyone jacks it up. If you go back into the Old Testament, there is this story of King David. Second Samuel 7 is really when we start getting into his story. Um, that's when the Lord establishes an everlasting covenant with him. So he's been around before that time, but this this is when the point is made that there is a certainty, a guarantee that God is on his side. Now make note of it, 2 Samuel 7, 16. Some theologians refer to it as the sure mercy of David. That God was so firm in his commitment to this man that no matter what he did in the past, no matter what he might do in that moment of the present, no matter what was coming in the future, God had guaranteed grace, mercy. And what I'm saying is he does the same thing for you. Now here's the train wreck that David's life becomes just four chapters after this certainty of grace is made. In 2 Samuel 11, King David is at the palace. He looks over. He sees a woman bathing on the terrace of her roof. 
Her name is Bathsheba, and he calls her to the palace. He has his way with her, and she becomes pregnant. Now, after that, David tries to cover it up. So her husband is one of David's valiant warriors. He calls the husband back from the battlefield, feeds him, gets him drunk, hoping that he will be drunk and go in and sleep with his wife, and no one will be the wiser. But that night, that warrior sleeps on the stoop of the front door, saying that he will not go in and enjoy the comforts of home while his comrades are out and living in tents in war. And so the plan backfires. So David sends the man, his name is Uriah, he sends him back to the battle lines with a note to the general that's in command, whose name is Joab, saying, hey, when the fighting gets intense, push Joab to the front line and then retreat, but leave him there exposed so he'll die. David effectively orchestrates a murder to cover up this infidelity and has the man deliver his own death notice. Well, he thinks he's got away with it until in the next chapter, Nathan the prophet confronts David and says, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Something's not right here. In fact, here's what's wrong. David repents. There is a high cost that's paid. And then he moves forward. Here's what's interesting. All throughout the New Testament, we read nothing about David's sin. We read about Bathsheba. We read about Uriah even, but we don't read about what David did. Nothing about his sin, even though it was horrible. I mean, it, you know, I mean, it's like he murdered a person. He he had an affair with the man's wife. She had no choice. Effectively, he has his way with her, and then he brings, you know, the husband home kills him. The New Testament refers to him after a man after God's own heart. Now, in one of the longest recorded speeches in the New Testament. It's the longest by Paul. Acts 13, 32 through 34, we read this. Paul is recounting grace. And in those verses, Acts 13, 32 through 34, he says that God declares good tidings. I will give you the sure mercies of David. In other words, I'm gonna give you the certainty of grace now, even though Four chapters from now, you are going to sin colossally. Even though four chapters from now, it's going to look like a completely different person that I've made my covenant with. That's how much I believe in you. And that's how much I believe in you to the extent that that big mess up is even not going to define your life trajectory. It's going to be a bump. There's going to be some pain. There's going to be some cost. But we'll move through. Now, that term, sure mercies of David, let me say this, it's available to anyone, everyone. Isaiah 55, one through three, come to the waters and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Here's the name of the covenant. The sure mercies of David. Now, what's incredible about this is Paul, the guy who writes this, was certain that he had stepped into the sure mercies of David because in Galatians 1.5, he says that God set him aside for a purpose 
from his mother's womb. That's Galatians 1.5. Now, if you read the story of Paul, you know that Paul is, was a persecutor of the church. You know that when God finally called him to do the ministry that he did, he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. He had letters giving him authority in hand to do this. And Jesus just hijacks the ride on the road and says, whoa, we've got something new to do. I've set you apart from birth with these sure mercies. I set you apart from your mother's womb, Galatians 1.5, not taking into account all the horrible deeds that you would do. I've already forgiven those. I've overlooked at it. Let's get on with the plan. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says the same thing about me. It says it, declares it certainly about you as well. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, by grace you're saved. It's not of works. It's not of anything that you've done, so you can't boast. It's a gift of God. God did this because he planned before time began great works that you would walk in, end quote. Notice, the same grace that saves you from before time began planned great works that you would do in your life before time began. And you say, yeah, well, I, but I've made these mistakes or life went a different way than I planned. And it, you know, I would just say, I get it. Welcome to the club. But it doesn't erase what the master of the universe intended and instilled and instituted before time began that he would not only forgive you, he would also step you into his purpose for your life. I want to show you something that's kind of astounding. If you get into the book of Romans chapter three, you're going to know this passage right here, but I want to keep reading from it because I've talked about this passage a lot and I want to show you something. I'll highlight it right before I get to it. So you probably know this, all of sin, Romans 3, 23, and fall short of the glory of God, verse 24 and are justified by his grace as a gift. Who's justified by his grace as a gift? All. All sinned and all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Now catch this. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Uh, What is Paul saying here? This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Okay, so we we read things in the New Testament like the wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. But, But what we read right here is God had been forgiving things from the beginning of creation. Uh, He had been forgiving things and overlooking them 
because in his divine forbearance, he didn't overlook the sins. He just passed over them, knowing that at some point, the payment for sin, Jesus is coming. In other words, the model was um, in Genesis, Adam and Eve don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because in the day you eat of it, you'll die. Well, they didn't. And then they left the garden and God left the garden with them because he continues revealing himself to people outside of the garden. He put them outside of the garden so they wouldn't eat of the tree of life and live forever in a state of sin and guilt and shame. They died eventually, hundreds of years later. They didn't die that day. Why? Because in his divine forbearance, he overlooked sins previously committed. Abraham, the father of our faith, passed off his wife twice, basically sold her twice. God didn't punish him. In both instances, God actually blessed him. Why? Because in his divine forbearance, God overlooked sins previously committed. Jacob swindles his way to blessing. Why did it work? Because in his divine forbearance, God overlooked sins previously committed committed. David, the example we looked at here, he he slept with another man's wife and then he slaughtered the man in battle and God didn't kill him, even though the wages of sin is death. Why? Because in his divine forbearance, he overlooked the sins previously committed. Even the apostle Paul, who is persecuting the church, God didn't just take him out. Why? Because in his divine forbearance, He overlooked the sins previously committed. God still has a plan and a purpose for you. Why? Because in his divine forbearance, he's still leading you to that point where you would know him and walk with him because in his divine forbearance, he overlooked the sins previously committed. And it's not just the sins previous. Romans 4, 7, and 8 Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and those whose sins are covered. Okay, so that's the ones, you know, from from your past. That's the ones that led up to this moment here. Verse eight, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count sin. In other words, right here, Paul Paul says, the, the past is taken care of. And in the future, the things that you do aren't even being counted against you. Do you see? From his mind, all this happened because at some point, God decided way in the past, eternity past, that Christ was going to die on the cross. And so everything leading up to the cross, he just overlooked because of the cross, So he bought all that sin on credit. The payment of it was coming due on the cross. And everything forthgoing has been forgiven because of the centerpiece of history, the cross. And as we discussed in episode three, the cross isn't only this past event 2,100 years ago, 2,000 years ago. It is as real this moment because of the time, space, continuum, and how God is present to everything, or everything rather is present to him at all times, in all places, all people, all eras, 
The cross is as real this instant as it was 6,000 years ago, as real as it will be 7,000 years from now, as real as it was 50 years ago, 500, 2,000, the moment it occurred. It's interesting to me that the disciples travel with Jesus three, three and a half years. All of these things they saw, raising the dead, casting out demons, healing blind people, making lame people walk, mute, speak, deaf, hear, incredible miracles. And the boldness and grace that he demonstrated to people. And yet there's one thing that they asked him to teach them to do, which was to pray. Teach us to pray. There's also, that's the subject for another talk perhaps, this one thing they asked him to increase their faith for. It wasn't increase our faith to raise the dead, increase our faith so we could preach better to large crowds, increase our faith so that we could grow a church, increase our faith so that we could you know, do this miracle, increase our faith so that we could, all the things we would pray for to increase our faith on behalf of, it was increase our faith to forgive. One day, Peter asked how often he should forgive. The Lord said 70 times seven. Now the setup for that's a little bit more detailed and complex, but you think about what was he doing? He was saying, hey, there's no limits. Why? Because the cross is limitless. It's all been done. It's all resolved. Everything past resolved. Everything future resolved because of the cross. And what did Jesus say from the cross? It, on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Could it be that Jesus was speaking those words to you, to me, to the people that would sin against us, to the people that we might need to forgive the most? You see, and if that's, the case. And in the previous episode, we talked about what forgiveness is and what it's not, what it includes and what it doesn't include. We talked about all of that. Could it be, too, that to forgive others in the way God and Christ forgave you doesn't just mean we let go of the right to hold on to major offenses? But could it also be that we also enter into this agreement of what Paul says in Romans 3, divine forbearance, where we just decide now to live with hearts open, even if they'll get wounded, to live with our hands open, even if people can take stuff from them, to live free as sons and daughters of the king. I think it does. My prayer for you, for me too, goodness, this one's hard, right? It is the thing the disciples asked for faith for, is that the Lord would bless you, keep you, be gracious, shine, favor 
upon you. And may that favor transform into divine forbearance to where you gift others with this future grace. Now you see how the title comes full circle. With future grace now before the offense ever comes. It doesn't mean there's not things to work through in the future, but grace. It doesn't mean there aren't rifts that we have to settle, but grace. It doesn't mean there aren't difficult conversations, but grace drives it all in the past, present, and future. Grace and peace. I'll see you soon.